hey, Jews, you know that episode of Friends where Ross and Monica have their own in-the-family sibling gesture that is their version of the middle finger? Well, Liel and Stephanie and I have one of those, too. We use it all the time, and you can't see it. However, we also sometimes use words, swear words. So if you have a child around, maybe send him or her out of the room and then come listen to us. Okay, thanks. And here's your gesture. On with the show. Hello, Flatiron District. It was great to swim in the ocean, but we are back in New York City. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet senior writer Liel Leibowitz. What is this Ira I Glass switched it up. again? I switched it up. I went Liel first. And also by... Ava Adele, I give my joint today to <laughs> Stephanie. To Stephanie, Stephanie hello. No, you break it in half and I give do. me half. Also half of my shalom is to you. By Tablet Deputy Shots. Editor Stefania Butnick. Hi. Uh, two Jews this week. Two Jews for the price of one. Two Jews, no Gentile. Uh, yeah, Scott, we're like done with Gentiles. Scott yeah. Feinberg. Too nice. <laughs> Scott Feinberg, the awards columnist for The Hollywood Reporter and a fine podcaster in his own right, will be here to talk Oscars. And also cookbook writer Molly Yay. Yay! Author of the cookbook Molly on the Range. No Gentiles this week. They're all too busy golfing and sipping gin and tonics. Is that, tr- is that played out? Is that stereotype just... I think it's very specific. I mean, that to me is a wasp, but is right. I guess wasp right. is just standing for Gentile at this but, point. But not. We we should be more precise. I think most of America drinks gin. One of my I friends do. told me that wasps don't wear their pajamas to breakfast when they're home with their families. Do you think that's true? So interesting. Sid, wife, Jewish wife of mine, did not used to like. I mean, I don't know what she wore to breakfast before she met me, but she once she got dressed, she didn't undress until bedtime like the idea that at five like when i get home at five o'clock i'm in pajamas yeah i'm in soft pants yeah like it goes to comfy clothes and she would not that was an innovation for her that you could do comfy clothes from like 5 to 11 p.m so is she, you're saying she's a wasp she's I'm, one of those lower east side wasps i've heard of, of them lower east side wasps she's, she's a i just split wasp. the difference and just not wear pants which is really easy <laughs> but you wear like a tuxedo on top i do like it's a jacket but underwear <laughs> Is there a cummerbund? And if so, what does it do? If that's that's how you'd like to imagine it. Cummerbund holds all kinds of things together. I can't wait for your wedding. Do you you own a tuxedo? So I owned one tuxedo in my life. It was the one I bought for my prom because I thought it was undignified to wear a rented tuxedo. That's amazing. That's everything we need to know about you. That's right. And it was the cummerbund and bow tie were, were red plaid. I like that. I think I gave it to one of those food dr- uh, food drives, clothing drives for people who needed interview clothes. Oh, I pity the homeless person. <laughs> and that's why we have no middle class. Yeah, uh, sir, we would really like to give you the job. <laughs> so good to be back in the city. I have to say I had the most fun in Florida. It was amazing. We it, like all hung out for did. really like the first time ever. Yeah. We hung at Kennebutnik yes. and we felt Orthodoxans, J. Crew, the J. Crew. That I love that. Someone emailed that. Someone to us. emailed us referring to us as the J Crew, but we felt that you were all there with us as we as we hot tubbed at Kenna Butnick. And I really bonded with Ben Cohen, the future Mr. Stephanie Butnick, yeah. and your parents and, and your grandparents. And we had yeah. a lot to drink. We had Rocco's Tacos. I brought Rocco's Tacos. You had oh, left yeah, you by then, it. Liel, but yeah. I bought Okay, can I tell the story that Liel spent the night at my parents' house in the extra bedroom and mm-hmm. he my I, my dad the next morning was like so I, I like I walked out at like seven a.m. when Liel said he had to leave and I opened like I knocked on the door to see if anyone was there and I opened the door and it was like no one had ever been in there there was like a Mossad operation that took you out the ceiling or something there, there you have there was the, no trace of him the bed was so perfectly yeah made. like those mil- was, those military corners yes and uh, night before I think I single handedly consumed maybe three quarters <laughs> of the bottle of tequila so that was great yeah you guys are great it was Thank like a you. team bonding adventure. it was it was pretty great we, like and and we all miss. Rav, not Rav Cook, but, <laughs> but Rav Cookie. Rav 
Cookie, who was the rabbi of uh, Temple Israel in West Palm. What an experience. What architecture with the undulating ceiling, the light show. Um, I saw the pictures on Facebook from the Beatles Shabbat, and I think we missed out. Yeah. The next week was a Beatles Shabbat. Yeah. The ocean view. It will always be Have our s- Marca Lago. <laughs> a special shout out to the uh, youth group of Temple Israel who planted the esrog trees in the uh, – in the garden that Rav Cookie showed us uh, with great pride. But so there's etrogim on the tree, but you can't eat it for like a few, or you can't pick a tree for a few years. Yes. yes. So these kids are going to be like well out of college by the That's time right. yes. they can they can use. That's their Jewish things. continuity for you. That's ju- <laughs> Little news of the Jews: uh, Omri Caspi, the first Israeli to play in the NBA, reportedly is being traded from the Sacramento Kings. Is that a real team? No, it's the Kings. It's the Kings. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was like a typo. No, it was like from one of our Jew news sources. It is the of course it's the Kings. I like <laughs> so much you that you yeah. would not even know. The now name that of you a, say oh it, I realize God. it's the Kings, and I it's do actually know the Sacramento Kind Bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my brain was going. Was like, did some East Bay? I mean, Sacramento, really East Bay. Did someone think like, let's call it the Kinds? <laughs> they're, they're the Kind Men. <laughs> and he was being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. That's a team in the yes. worst trade in NBA history. Who was so on the other half of the trade? D- you let's don't even not know. even go there. Want to go there? It, it, it takes a long time. But you know, we are going to go. Is Hitler's telephone? Last That's week, it. we talked about how it was on the auction block, and we wondered what kind of sicko wanted to own it. Uh, some sicko who paid two hundred forty-three thousand dollars. It was been sold to an unnamed bidder. So what this means is, somewhere in the world, you could walk into someone's house, you don't know whose, pick up one of those old ceramic cradled telephones, and be. Getting Hitler cooties. Although, to be perfectly honest, you would have to pay $200,000 membership fees because that's what Mar-a-Lago costs these days. <laughs> that was a good one. What's amazing is you'd actually registered for Hitler's telephone. And now you, know, you're, you may be getting it. I just got a note from Bloomingdale's that it's like unavailable. It's right. <laughs> Although, maybe someone bought it. Oh my God, that would be the nicest wedding present, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, as our senior Drake correspondent, is there anything to be made of the fact that Drake played Cory Booker last week? He offered to the police to help stop a man from jumping off a bridge in England, but the police declined his help, um, which I see as a mistake because I feel like if you're about to end it all, the cop saying to you, stop, doesn't well, do it, funny but it was Drake, like his, it was magical his, celebrity appearing. Yeah, it was like his tour bus or his posse or whatever they have these days. And they there was like some traffic jam at five in the morning on a bridge. And it was because someone was trying to kill themselves. And like Drake was like, <laughs> hey, man, like, do you think I can help? Like, and the guy's probably like... First of all, who are you? Second of all, like, no. It's like the most Drake thing to do to assume that he could be helpful in that situation. I would like to point out. So it was a suicide hotline blink. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was good. When did you think of it? Right now. I would like to point out we still don't know that Drake actually is a Toronto Jew. Remember when we went up to Toronto and tried to find out and we got emails from people? knew a little bit about him. Everyone was like, my third cousin went to summer camp. But nobody. got a good email from someone who's his mom's cousin that I've been keeping, keeping on the down low. Not good enough for me. If that guy grew up in Toronto, Jewish life, somebody would have actually met him once. Also, not, I mean, this is not a jerky thing to say. How many black kids are there at the Jewish events, right? Like you'd remember the extremely charismatic, talented, good dancing, good singing, future pop star black kid at on the bar mitzvah circuit. It just strikes me as implausible that no one ever knew him. So you think, what is, is, is this I think fake he's from news? Omaha. I think he's, yeah, I think it's fake news. I think he's a Gentile from Omaha. Wow. Said it. Also in fake news this week, um, Trump, Trump and Trump. There was that press conference where he called on the Orthodox reporter who goes by the name of Jake Turks from Ami Magazine, the Haredi magazine in Brooklyn, and he told him to sit down, and then he explained why he won by a lot of votes. So that, that was a different one. Oh, yeah. At the Netanyahu, he called him Ben Netanyahu the next day, but so at the Netanyahu <laughs> presser, where they had a press conference before even talking, 
which is an amazing power move. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asked about anti-Semitism, and he was like, you would not believe how many electoral votes I got. <laughs> it's like literally not the question. And then the next day, Jake Turks, who who we know his name, I mean, it's not his real name, but it's his, his at least it's his Twitter handle, which is embroidered on his yarmulke. At Jake Turk. It's a strong move, embroidering yeah. your Twitter handle on your yabaka. Especially in like a press scrum situation. Like, yeah. So Trump thought he was getting an easy question. He basically got an easy question, which was, no one in my community, i.e. like the Orthodox community, has said anything about you being anti-Semitic. We know you're as a zady to Jewish grandchildren. Like, But just what are you going to do? What are you guys doing about like this uptick in anti-Semitic like, action across the country? And he basically did like told him to sit down. And then said, like, I'm nobody the least likes, anti-Semitic person. Nobody likes Jews more than me. Now yeah. sit down, you dirty Jew. Jew. <laughs> Basically. And then, I don't know if this was planned before or after, he dispatched Mike Pence to Dachau to take a tour. Well, that's when you're in real trouble in the Trump administration. <laughs> he he, sent he literally the, sends you to the camps. Sends you to the camps to take a tour. And my first reaction to this, I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when, when Reagan went to the was it Bitburg? Was that the cemetery he went to? And like initially he wasn't going to – there's always like did he visit Auschwitz? Would he would he not visit Auschwitz? Did he pay enough homage? Was there enough respect shown to the dead Jews? And, this, and I always feel like I don't really care if my American politicians visit concentration camps. Like that's, that's actually not – As long as they don't set up concentration camps, we're <laughs> super like a cool. a pretty low bar. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I'd really rather that Mike Pence be here in America saying we care about all of the death threats being phoned in, all the bomb threats being phoned into JCCs than him in Dachau with his wife and, and daughter. we would never let a demagogue <laughs> who accuses big you know, problems in the world on small religious mind. Oh, hold on. Oh, wait. Yeah. So oh, wait. It, it's, but I think it's more meaningful because Pence is there in the midst of Trump literally like refusing to disavow. I mean, he did finally today tell, tell, tell a reporter that like anti-Semitism is bad. Those are like really, what's that, four words? Well, wait, him, did like, he today? He did, yeah, it he did. It wasn't just an Ivanka tweet saying no, we love everybody? No, it was an Ivanka tweet last night. And then he said, he like confirmed finally that he feels that anti-Semitism is bad. And like, we're going to stop Thanks, it. Thanks, Donald. You're going to stop so, it. So like, it, because he didn't say that. We are that, going to stop anti-Semitism. <laughs> very, very bad. It started under Obama. I inherited I'm, a mess. <laughs> Amy Carter used to tweet about it. <laughs> That's amazing. We are going to stop it. This I mean, is so great. It'll be the most wonderful okay, stopping so of anti Here's the thing, Jews. Uh, here's a brand new bar. We're going to take the president at his word. Unless Donald Trump eradicates anti-Semitism, he would be a failure of a president. Yep. Um, speaking of anti-Semites. <laughs> speaking of anti-Semites. In January, there were apparently 48 bomb threats phoned into Jewish community centers. Uh, it's February. There were a bunch more like yesterday. I will say at least one of the threats has been to my local JCC in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, you know, this is very real. How worried should – what should we think of – I mean part of me says there could be one crazy person with whitepages.com, right? Like it's not proof that America has gone insane. I think that they, it's, a, it's a canned call that I believe – I believe the idea is that it's one person doing a lot of these calls. First, they came for the JCCs, but I did nothing because I didn't belong to the JCC, right? Because I didn't thing swim is, at the JCC. Right. My, so my in-laws, uh, God bless them. Yeah, they go to the JCC to work out every right. day. Not, I think probably- They're like, the only Jews there, right? They're the only right. Jews there. These calls are probably arriving. They're closing the JCCs down. And a bunch of like, you know, Unitarians are like, are like wait, why where am we, I going to play squash? Why do we have to leave the right. pool? In New Haven, like the JCC, God bless it, is the nursery school that has the best hours. So basically, if you That's need right. to work, if you need, if you can't do pickup till six, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic, right. Lutheran, Muslim, JCC. Right. Like, <laughs> mom, why do we have to go home at 3 p.m.? <laughs> Makes no sense. 
Well, because someone hates the Jews. Someone hates the Jews. Oh, that's I mean, messed look, up. But look, the sad, the sad irony is like, remember those Kansas shootings a few years ago? Those were outside several JCC type places, and they literally killed like three non Jews. Gentiles. Yeah. And it's like, it's weird though, because we always talk about how anti Semites know so much about Jews, and it's like, they're getting it wrong here. That's right. right. They've guys, read the Talmud deeply to find like weird world yeah, conspiracy like plotting, stuff. but guys, they don't actually know where to find us. If you really want to mess with us, go for like bakeries. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> if you shoot up ore washers, like you're going to get me, but the JCC. Yeah, like you'll get me at the bagel place. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. Or like. I'm not going to tell you which one though. <laughs> We'd like to welcome some new subscribers to our newsletter. Uh, this week, it's the law firm of Brad Sham, Rebecca, and Israel Hoffman, who listened to us on a recent trip driving around Samoa. Leonard Glass, Alex Zaslow, John Branson, Richard Vogel, and Michael Berm, Lauren Monaco, Shalom Staub, Killian Metcalf, and Jonathan Wenig. Brad Sham, I actually know something about. Oh, I know Brad Sham. You know Brad Sham? Oh, yeah. Brad Sham, actually, his great-grandfather was in the diamond industry between Brussels and London. And he was always cheating people. And they knew him as uh, Baruch Scheister. And in London over the years, the family name eventually changed. When they anglicized it, it moved into Sham. No, you're maligning and, the, the Sham. And so that's the Sham family. You're incorrect. I am? That's not the story. Okay. Grandpa Sham was indeed a very wealthy man. He, little known fact, is the inventor of the ShamWow. Do you remember the ShamWow? No. Oh, yes. What? I don't. This is you a don't late night. You don't want It's like up there with Oxycontin. That's exactly what it is. The Flowbee? That is exactly what it is. Okay, what is it? It's, it's, it's like the, this cloth. Yeah, it's the cloth <laughs> that, that absorbs everything. <laughs> the ShamWow. Uh, and so, Baruch Sham. <laughs> so, I have a different take. Yeah. Um, back in the old country, great-great-great-grandfather Sham invented what we now know as the European Sham, which is a different kind of pillow mm-hmm. to, put, That's right. to put on your bed. <laughs> It's not that standard weird one. It's like a nice pr- square. Is I this a that. real thing? The, the European, European sham? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they invented it? And by the way, you know what their favorite holiday is. It's Hanukkah because they get to say Neskadol Haya Sham. <laughs> to get the newsletter, sign up at tabletmag.com or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Oh, if you would like three morons right. to make fun of your name. <laughs> it should be said, by the way, that some of you sign up by sending us an email and then we have your name. If you sign up through the portal on the web, we don't necessarily have your name. So then send us an email saying... I mean, if you want to be made fun of, but like yeah, you can also right. just sign up on our you newsletter on, on each of the podcast fun, fun pages. Free. Right. Also, if you want to make fun of our names, like I'm, I'm fair game. Sure. It really yeah. builds character. What, what did people do to Butnik? So here's the weird thing. Because I'll tell you what they did to Oppenheimer. My, I don't even know what they could have done to Oppenheimer. I will tell but you. But so I'm S Butnik, like S Butnik at Tablet. That's Sputnik. my email. So Sputnik. Sputnik. And I'm born but in the late cool. 80s. But that's cool. I just think that like when you're a parent, like my initials are STB. My friend used to say it's one hump away from an STD. <laughs> Which I thought was like pretty clever for eighth grade. Yeah. Um, thanks, Jen. Uh, so yeah, a lot of butt nick about butt lick, but like butt like butt. Stuff. I would have gone butt lick, no doubt. <laughs> and yeah, it was fine. I I'm fine. Yeah, between that and butt pick, I would. Say. Well, how about this? My sister's Francesca Butnick, and her and so her nickname was Franny. So her Seventeen magazine subscription, which you started getting when you were like thirteen, sure. Um, went to and Fanny. Getting when you were sixteen. <laughs> went to Fanny Butnick, and for me, like eleven year old <laughs> me, it was the <laughs> best. What did anyone ever do anything to Leah Leibowitz? Do you growing? think? Do you think someone would, and then live to tell the tale? And then you would sit on no, them. No, I, I would crush them. What do you think they did to Oppenheimer? I think they said, Pop. he has enough. Problems. So he, leave him alone. The, the the kind ones did that. He seems sad. There was, I mean, the nice ones. My buddies. It was always Oppie, right? But um, Moppenheimer. 
Moppenheimer, uh, Moppy, but Open Diaper was a big one. Very nice. That was sort of circa Very fifth clever. and sixth grade. Circa fifth and sixth grade was Open Diaper. I like that we're getting a laugh out of out of Paul at Argo Studios. <laughs> this uh, is why you don't pun, by the way. That's right. <laughs> You're like, no! So Open Diaper was a big one. And then sort My of- My name, the source of so much ridicule. Then more toward high school. And this is a not safe for work. There was- uh, Oh, no, it was in college, actually. It was my old. It was one of my old roommates who called me Popjohimen, which doesn't even really sound like Oppenheimer, but it's or, st- or you know, if we're being or fair, anything really captures, I think, relevant, your yeah, essence. But okay, <clears throat> anyway. But you're fine now. Some would say. Friends, two very important announcements this week. Number one, there's still time to get your tickets for the Golem Show, March 23rd at Drum in the East Village. We've talked about this before. It's their fake wedding. It's a kind of reenactment of a thing that they used to do up in the Catskills. You can learn more at golemweddings.com slash fake hyphen wedding or go to dromnyc.com. It's on March 23rd, and we hope to see you there. Another really important announcement, Um, there's a birthday in the house, the birthday this week of Warren Levinson, father of our producer, Noah A. Levinson. Warren, you done good. Should yeah. I sing him um, Happy Birthday like Marilyn Monroe? Did but in Hebrew, in Hebrew. Yeah. Happy Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you just want to hear the two of you sing in Hebrew. Yom. Okay. Yom. Yom. <laughs> Is that all the words in the song? Yeah. This is what 30 yeah. years of combined <laughs> Hebrew schools sound like, everybody. And I thought it was Yom Halevit, but it's actually, Yom Halevit. <laughs> I actually... <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, anyway. got, I got Monday, Wednesday migraines, which really interfered with my after-school Hebrew learning. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just <laughs> ask my family. Look, the important thing is my daughters will know this. All right? That, that's called tradition. That's what con- I f- Jewish continuity. What I forget, the daughters I will know. I know fuck all, anyway, but my daughters will. Anyway, Warren Levinson, um, we love thank you. you. HBD. Thank you for giving us Noah and our listeners thank you too Our first Jew of the Week is Scott Feinberg, the awards columnist for The Hollywood Reporter and the host of the Awards Chatter podcast on which he's interviewed Hollywood royalty like Morgan Freeman, Meryl Streep and Steven Spielberg He has one of the best track records for forecasting the Oscars, and the New York Times called him one of the most informed Oscarologists. Most important, he went to Brandeis with my brother-in-law, Cliff Silverman. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for being here. Scott, Stephanie's been very excited about the fact that you went to Brandeis with her brother-in-law. Do you remember? Is there, in fact, a Cliff Silverman? Do you remember him? Cliff Silverman is one of the most wonderful people I know. I was on the tennis team with Cliff Silverman, and I'm still in touch with him. Yeah, of course. You were at their wedding, right? I was, and and I uh, love those guys. Did you predict that wedding? By the way? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would not have predicted. I love Cliff, but I think he uh, I think he outdid himself with with his wife. She's terrific. So Scott, um, I'm really excited to have you on. Obviously, um, so you're kind of like the Nate Silver of Oscar predictions. Well, Thank you. I would have taken that as a great compliment before the 2016 presidential election. Oh, yeah. We're just <laughs> pretending that didn't happen. But but film is so subjective. How do you make your picks? Are there polls and numbers? Is it a gut feeling? What's your secret sauce? So the, the big thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the Academy members are divided into 17 branches. So there's the actors, the writers, the directors, the sound people, and on and on and on. And they only get to nominate, that for all of them get to nominate for Best Picture, but also then only in their specific, only in the categories that apply to their specific areas. So let's say you're a sound guy. You get to nominate for Best Picture and then for Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing because, reasonably enough, those are the areas of expertise for you. But then somehow, for whatever reason, it's just sort of a long tradition of the Academy, 
everyone then gets to vote for everything once the nominees have been determined. And so as a result, you know, the vast majority of people who vote for the winners really don't know anything about sound editing or sound mixing. They're costume designers and visual effects people and, you know, people from all these other areas of the academy. So when you're making, this is just an example of what you have to factor in when you're, when you're making these predictions, because when 90, 94% of the academy who are going to pick that award don't know anything about sound, it doesn't really matter what the sound community thought was the best. It's more a psycho- psychological exercise of figuring out, all right, for somebody who doesn't know anything about sound, what are they most likely to gravitate towards? And, and you so really, those- you're really into this, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, though, since, since you know, when I was young, uh, some, some years ago now, um, the movies that were up for Best Picture uh, and were in the Oscar running were movies everybody would have seen. They were big blockbuster movies. You just have to mention the name. Out everyone, of Africa. Everyone yeah. saw these movies, right? And now it's like... Manchester by the Sea or Moonlight, which is like three people maybe saw in some art house in like, you know, Connecticut. Um, first of all, is that right? And second of all, why is this happening? And third of all, should we just like start giving Oscars to like the best Star Wars sequel or adaptation? <laughs> well, there, there probably never has been a bigger divide between what the general public likes and what the Academy likes. But I think that's the result of the, the trend of the industry towards um, you know, all of the studios now are part of giant conglomerates to which they have to, uh, you know, show profits or somebody's going to lose their job. In the old days, you know, Warner Brothers was run by the Warner Brothers, for instance, and, and all the studios had, you know, were essentially independent. And then when that stopped being the case, what happens is anything original or risky or edgy becomes a gamble that people who run these studios are afraid to take but then why do those small movies get put up why are those the oscar winners now well because the the people who make movies uh who are not running the studios necessarily are they hope to champion those kind of movies in the hope that they don't entirely go away because out without the motivation of of trying to get oscars uh or the or make money that comes from you know the attention of getting nominated for or winning an Oscar, these movies probably wouldn't get made. And so all you would have all year would be the remake sequels and adaptations of pre existing stuff that already dominates the other three quarters of the year. And the Oscar for best yeah. Ninja Turtle sequel goes <laughs> to So what do we have to look forward to at the Oscars this year? Give us like some things that you think are gonna happen. You're going to have a lot of La La Land love there. Uh, a lot of blah, blah, bland. Did you see it, Leo? A lot of blah, yeah. Yeah, I liked it. It was fine. It was cute. Despite myself. Three stars. Well, just remember that the reason that it's probably going over better with Academy members than with any other audience in the world is that it basically says, hey, all of you people who, who moved out to Hollywood and took a chance and, you know, struggled <laughs> and then you made it. And then danced a little. Look, at, look what you had to go through. Aren't you terrific? And so that's sort of what it's... Uh, you know, it really resonates with them for that reason. So that's going to do very well. You're going to have some unbelievable musical performances there where you've got the, the best song nominees include songs that will be performed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Justin Timberlake, Sting, plus the La Land people. So you'll have some good entertainment there. And then you could have some very uh, emotional speeches and moments. You know, Viola Davis is going to win Best Supporting Actress, and there's not a better speech maker in the business, so she'll have something to say. Um, and you might also end up having uh, probably Emma Stone win Best Actress, probably Mahershala Ali for Best Supporting Actor, and these are also, um, you know, people who have amazing personal stories. And then there's the possibility of either Casey Affleck or Denzel Washington winning Best Actor, and if Casey wins, 
that's, you know, he may finally address the thing that's been sort of dogging him all season, which are these, you know, legal uh, troubles of the past that were dredged up to, to probably hurt him. Or Denzel would, you know, would, would become one of only like two or three uh, men who have ever won three acting Oscars. This would be his third. So you'll have you'll have some some really exciting winners as well this year. So do you think the speeches are going to be political? Like, did what we see Meryl Streep do, like, are we going to see that from everyone? I don't know about everyone, but I think you will definitely hear the name Donald Trump a few times during this this uh, the, the evening on Sunday. And I, you know, I, it's actually not been discouraged by the Academy. They used to really uh, get angry when people brought politics into the Oscars, but at this point, truthfully, they they just want ratings uh, more than anything. And if that gets people tuning in either out of uh, support or anger at what what people are saying, then it's a win for them. So I, I think that you you won't see someone, you know, cut off just because they, they bring up Trump or something like that. So let me ask you this. Uh, every year we have a, an Oscar party. Every year I print out those idiotic forms. And every year I come in, you know, either last or like second to last. <laughs> Are there any tricks? Like, for example, you know, always bet on the Holocaust-themed movie if there is one to win. Like, what are the tricks that lay people should know getting Oscar bets right? I mean... I don't know that there are too many things like that. And to be honest, with the Holocaust uh, trick, which I've been burned on the past by uh, by, by the Holocaust, the Holocaust movie. Um, <laughs> Yet another I, victim of the Holocaust. I know. No, no, All of us are. Well, no, so I. Uh, but there is one this year. It's in the it's in the documentary short category. It's called Joe's Violin. But I actually am gonna. I'm. I'm leaning against picking that one. Um, but there, are, there. Are, you know, you you just have to kind of either know these things or not. You can spitball, and sometimes you'll actually get it right, whereas the, the person that's trying to go in there with all this, this background will not get it right. Sometimes there's no explanation for, for some outcomes, you know, where they just defy all of the stats and things that we have at our disposal. But, um, you know, you just try to make the most informed prediction that you can, and then after that, it's in the hands of these roughly 7,000 people who, if you act, you know, like, like many members of the general electorate, if you just kind of chatted with them, you might be surprised that this is who you have entrusted these these outcomes that we uh, we put so much you know stock in. Uh, not everyone's the most impressive, but but that's that's the way it works here. But luckily, it's the popular vote for the Oscars. <laughs> hey, right. Scott, who's like an up and coming Oscar prognosticator? Like, do you have a little mini me, someone you're mentoring, who's made some good calls but hasn't quite arrived yet? You know, I if if that person is out there, I uh, I, I am not going to give them any attention yeah. because they're Find just, them uh, you know <laughs> it's a competitive business here, guys. So you've talked to pretty much like every Hollywood megastar for your podcast awards chatter. Um, who were you most starstruck to to interview? You know, not at this point. I I, I hope this comes across in the way I intended, but it's not a matter of being starstruck as much as wanting to make the most of the time you have with this person because usually it's a set time, so you'll have an hour or whatever with that person and you want to go in there just super prepared and then hope that it ends up being a good conversation. So for me, somebody who I, you know, to bring this back to Jews here, Jerry Seinfeld is somebody who I'd been told was not the warmest guy in the world and, and that I better come with my ducks in a row for that conversation. And I did, and he ended up being terrific. So I think for, for, you know, it's more, it's more a challenge of what can you make of these for who wasn't, who was a total dick. Well, the <laughs> I, I, I will. I'm willing to say one name here, only because it was completely miserable, and and uh, and that was Vanessa Redgrave. This wasn't for the podcast. And to be honest, 
I, I don't know how many Jews will be surprised to hear that. <laughs> the anti-Semite, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, she was, I think, uh, egged on by her publicist to send me an apology email afterward just for being so difficult. So, you know, she's not entirely... Uh, irredeemable, but it was just a very unpleasant <laughs> conversation. Vanessa Redgrave, not entirely irredeemable. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the Jews. The Jews. Um, Sincerely, so the Jews. So if we want to play a drinking game this year, like what should, what should it be? Drink every time someone says what or something happens or la la well, land. I think you might want to do something every time you hear Trump. Uh, but Definitely. also, um, you know, probably la la land will, will get you drunk very quickly. Or do a shot. <laughs> do a shot anytime someone mentions a movie you've seen, in which case you'll do no shots. No shots whatsoever. <laughs> so where will you be Oscar night? I will be in the audience. And are you like so stressed? You Are you tallying things? Like what's going on in your mind? You know, at that point, I'm pretty much just uh, wasted. Spent. You know, <laughs> in, in one sense or, you know, if, if not all, uh, I will be pretty, pretty wasted. But, uh, you know, to find yourself in the audience, is, it's just something mostly where just try to pinch yourself a little bit and remember that this was a literally like a nothing more than a dream. You just never thought it was possible. So I, I'm very lucky and appreciative of the opportunity to do this and to be there. So more importantly, what's what happens the day after? Like, do you go on vacation? <laughs> well, uh, so first before you can get to the day after or what bleeds into the day after is everything that happens on Oscar night after the show lets out. So they have, you know, there's a lot of different parties, which are of varying degrees of quality, depending on who won, you know, most people kind of gravitate towards the winners, which can, which can make for a, a little bit of a lukewarm party for the poor people that, that didn't get anything. But uh, anyway, it's very, you know, everybody's out after that. Everybody's breathing sort of a sigh of relief, just that it's all over. Cause it's really the, culmination of six months of stuff and then the next day you know i i always say i could be i i could probably be dead at my desk and it might take a week before somebody noticed because at that point my value uh to um you know my publication to my readers it's pretty much uh over most people just nobody cares the next few months we will still love you in the morning scott well, it's important you. to us to say that um hey, hey scott thanks so much um, it was guys. great chatting with you, and we'll, we'll obviously be following along with you. So to follow along with Scott Feinberg's Oscar predictions, follow him on Twitter at Scott Feinberg. Check out his column, The Race, at The Hollywood Reporter, and subscribe to his podcast, Awards Chatter, on iTunes. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brouse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. 
And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Hey, no upcoming live shows at the moment, but if you think you might want one in your community, email Alyssa at egoldstein at tabletmag.com. Also, if you're interested in advertising on Unorthodox, I've gotten a couple inquiries about this. I don't sell ads, but you know who does? Desiree Harrison Brown. And you can email her at desiree.harrison-brown at panoply.fm. Or just write to me, moppenheimer at tabletmag.com, and I will hook you up. I think you mean M open diaper. Yeah. <laughs> Mop your hymen at tabletmag.com. And I will Very troubling. you up. All right. To the mailbox. Uh, a bunch of good things. To the mailbox. To the mailbox. Hi, Mark. Greetings from Toronto, where we're still basking in the glow of last November's show at Beth Sedek. I just finished listening to the Valentine's Day episode and enjoyed the shout out for the mezuzah in the Google ad. In the Google <laughs> in the Google ad. Here's a similar vignette. In 2009, Canadian filmmaker Adam Egoyan directed a movie called Chloe, starring Julianne Moore. It wasn't a box office smash, but it was filmed in and around Toronto with many scenes filmed in our home. One of the location directors suggested removing the mezuzot from outside and inside the house. Egoyan adamantly refused. And to top that, there's a scene with Liam Neeson in his study, and on the bookshelf behind him is a biography of Ben-Gurion. As if... Thought you might find that amusing. That was from Alan Caney in Toronto. Thanks, Dr. Caney. Great to hear from you. Thanks for bringing us to Toronto. Bring us back. We'd love to come back. Uh, another nice another nice letter. Dear Mark, Stephanie, and Liel, I was very touched by Mark's story at the end of JJ's life. It's not just because I'm a dog person. When my grandmother was 89 years old, my husband, our one-year-old son, and myself lived on the other half of her double house. During her last days, we had a nurse come in to evaluate whether we could manage her care safely. As we talked with the nurse, my dad volunteered to go to the store to get adult diapers as we sadly planned how to get through the night until she could be moved. Just before my dad came home, the nurse checked on her and told us that she was dead. When my dad returned, he had brought some fancy ice cream from our favorite shop. My husband was amazed as we sadly dished out the ice cream and ate it. I tried to explain to my husband that it was the same as another family might open cans of beer. To this day, he will occasionally ask me, are you going to eat ice cream when I die? Of course, if I'm honest, the answer is always yes. Thanks for being the congregation that never asks for tickets, even on the high holidays. Laurie Sandler, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, 
Absolutely. There's no reason not to have ice cream. No. I mean, we are the people that eats at yeah. Chivas. Like, we, are, we, we are the living. We are we, we are the living. Next up, a letter from my brother, Jonathan, who is expecting a daughter in September. He and his wife, Britta. Oh. So little Isaac will have a sister. So Mazel Tov. Um, he writes, what's up, homies? You three are good shits. And I apologize for my first email to you not being an expression of my gratitude for keeping me company on my long walks with my little man and my pup. Rest in playfulness, JJ. But as your resident Midwest expert and given Liel's apparent view that everything Midwest takes place either in Wisconsin or Minnesota, two states in which I've spent a combined 12 years, I cannot let stand your comment that Reince Priebus is from Minnesota. The demise of political sanity and optimism and general decency in the cheese state, which now counts Scott Walker, Paul Ryan, and a guy named Ron Johnson as its well-known leaders, alongside the openly gay and respectable Tammy Baldwin, coincided with the rise of Priebus to national prominence. And we in Minnesota take small comfort knowing that he is not one of our own. No, we in Minnesota are the land of Al Franken and Amy Klobuchar and Paul Wellstone and a billionaire governor who taxed the rich and turned around a huge deficit into a $1.3 billion surplus. Don't get me wrong. We have a lot of awful anti-immigrant racists in our midst. But for the time being, the majority of Minnesotans have a soul. And we're happy to let our neighbors to the east claim the Reince now and forever. Peace, Jonathan Oppenheimer. Well, in all fairness, uh, Joppenheimer. Being, Joppenheimer. Being a condescending uh, East Coast liberal elitist, I only say Minnesota because that's the only name of a Midwestern state <laughs> I know. Uh, I assume there are more, but like it's just a catch-all for Midwest. So there you go, Jonathan. So write us again, Jonathan. So write us again, Jonathan. Because <laughs> now he's doubled down. Yeah. It's, um, called, it's called the Trump. <laughs> it is. Two more letters. Hey, J. Crew. So this is our this is our writer who's call, who's it's, giving it's us a thing now. J. Crew. It's We're actually more now. of like a Madewell crowd. It's Ben from Philly here, and I'm a recent convert to unorthodoxy and making my way through old episodes. I wanted to shout out my older sister Paula, who got me hooked on your podcast. She's getting smicha. That's ordination from Jewish Theological Seminary this spring, and I would love to completely embarrass her on your show. She's currently interviewing for pulpit positions, and so to all the shuls that interview her, she's an absolute catch, a true mensch, and you'd be lucky to have her. Tov Yalabai, Ben from Philly. So listen, anyone who's interviewing Paula for a pulpit job right now, hire, you would be hire the fools not or to you're hire anti-Semitic. Her. That's exactly right. <laughs> if you do not hire Paula, you hate the Jewish people. And better yet, if you do hire her, we'll... Um, We'll, shout, we'll give you a shout out on the show. Totally free, free advertising for you. <laughs> Finally, from Linda Magid. No, she says pronounced like magic, but with a hard G. From Linda Ma- Majid. Magid. Majid. Majid. But with Magid. a hard G. Ma- Magid. <laughs> Magid. She writes, hi, if Stephanie hasn't already thought of it, she must make David Duchovny's, hello, Stephanie, a ringtone. It was hot. It was amazing. It was like the best <laughs> half second of my life. Uh, hey, Stephanie. Was hey, it hi, Stephanie? Hey, hi, Stephanie. Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Oh. <laughs> it is, yeah. Total, total ring toning that one. Um, but it's only our, for when he calls, which happens like special. all the time now. <laughs> I'm like, to company, chill. Hi, 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 hi,
Our second Jew of the Week is Molly Yeh, the author of Molly on the Range, one of the New York Times top fall cookbook releases of 2016. She is also the creator of the food blog My Name is Yeh, which was Savor's 2015 blog of the year. She is also a Juilliard-trained percussionist and has performed with orchestras around the world. And there's more. No, she lives. She lives <laughs> yep, yep. What tops Juilliard trained percussionist? She lives on a sugar beet farm on the Take North that. Dakota Minnesota border. Welcome, Molly. <laughs> Thank you. And, and we have to describe to listen before we even begin you, this conversation. You are the first Jewish guest to like bring us food. Not no, only no, did you bring us she? food, that's the Gentiles brought us food. Yeah. Duo Dickinson brought us liquor. Yeah, yeah the Gentiles right. are supposed to bring you food. I thought. Listen, I have to describe what I'm looking at. So these are not only the most beautiful hamantaschen you have ever seen with like. Beautiful, colorful sprinkles uh, in the middle. They're also individually wrapped, uh, and they're tied together with this perfect, like, candy stripe red and white bow. And they're in this perfect wooden box. <laughs> Can this I have one now? Or just yes, about please three eat months one. to put together um, okay. this display. But well, now I'm going to eat it. So, yeah. so I'm the not breaking top up with all a... different kinds of sprinkles, and I and I need your help in like figuring out which sprinkles are the best because oh, we're super good at that. I have a selection. I have a collection of sprinkles. I feel like that's weird. All you can hear right now is the crinkling of these packets. <laughs> yeah. What are they stuffed with? These, um, these okay, so there's objects. there's Sweet a goodness. layer of strawberry jam, and then marzipan. And then they're topped with sprinkles. Oh my God. The we all like them. Ever before we get it, before okay. we get into all so, this stuff, you're half Jewish. Wait, I will, wait. Can I? Ask oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry. So I just have a whole, I have a whole thing prepared, <laughs> but I want to open these. Wait, can I say that I'm very starstruck right now, and I and I almost didn't come because I I look forward to listening to Unorthodox every week, and it's my routine on Thursday nights. I go to the gym and I lift weights and I just laugh hysterically as I'm listening to you guys oh, on Thursday God. nights. And, but I realize though, you like go to the LA Fitness in North Dakota. I, <laughs> I go to the town gym and lift my weights. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. For oh, sure. yeah. But that, but I realize though, since I don't like listening to my own voice, I I can't. We there's don't like, either. there's gonna be. Get but I know it. what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to it. When you're a top oh. Savour, when Savour calls you a top blogger, it's time for you to accept the limelight. Thank you. Okay. 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 So I feel like some sugar. Everyone got a little sugar, and everyone's sugar. just like off the rails. Okay. So on your blog's FAQ section, one of the first questions you have listed, which you wrote yourself, is you look funny. What's your ancestry? As you explain, your father is Chinese and your mother is Jewish. But is that something that people have actually said to you? What What are you? What All you- the time. Um, people will just look at me for like a second. Not so much anymore since it's like 2017. And it's like you can't do that, you, you can't do that anymore. But back when I lived in Brooklyn in like 2012, people would look at me and, and kind of like But in Brooklyn, everyone looks like you. That's kind of um, weird. I, yeah, it was weird. And then not only would <laughs> what? they- you're half Asian, half Jewish and they, in Brooklyn? And then they would also argue with me and be like, no, you're not half Asian, half Jewish. You're Italian or you're Mexican or you're Latina. It's, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was a big conversation. What is that like? Were you, what's the mix of offense taken, annoyingness, flattery? Like what were your, what was the complex of emotions behind answering that question? Um, now, so I actually just got a question yesterday when I posted the Hamantaschen on Instagram. Somebody said, um, are you Jewish? With like, like a what is what is that called? The the um, question mark and the exclamation. That's point? what it's called. No, there, there's a is name. There another there's name a name for it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, in Tarabang. you're a word nerd, aren't you? I love words, but so I uh, I was I was like a little bit taken aback because yeah, it's like it's it's 2017 and like Jews look like this now, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and when in the dating scene though it was weird. I would date. These guys who like in Juilliard, like everybody has yellow fever because there are so many Asian girls. Well, there. you kind of have to, right? Yeah, like so <laughs> if you didn't have it when you got there. Yeah, so so. Um, but I, the I, men are all gay, right? So it's like three straight guys and a lot of Asian women. Yeah, it's like it's a ball for them. Yeah. yeah. So um, I would go on these dates and like and and you know it, it would just be kind of like surfacey, like first date, small talking, whatever. And then 
when it would eventually come out that I was Jewish, they would suddenly have this switch in tone. Like suddenly it wasn't just like a casual date. It was, do you want to get married and come and meet my parents next weekend? (laughs) I mean, it's offensive Mm -mm. because they were disrespecting the age. They were fetishizing the Asianists. Right. But wasn't it a ratcheting up of the level of respect? There there were some instances where it was just presented in like a very – offensive way and then another instance where like this guy who we actually like became boyfriend girlfriend and and dated for a while Mm -hmm. is he the meatless balls guy yes okay (laughs) in the cookbook there's a recipe from him from his mom the vaguely macho vegan philly guy right yikes because if you want to be known as anything as uh, the meatless balls guy so let's let's talk about juilliard Okay. Explain how you got there, what you did there. Was it all like whiplash? Like how real is that movie? <laughs> um, was that your life? I mean, it, it was obviously like very much blown out of proportion and very Hollywood eyes. But there were some elements in it that like hit me. Like, like the in blood? The stomach. I was like, n- not so much the blood, but but like the being singled out in the middle of an orchestra where like you're made to play something over and over and over in front of everybody else. So probably like two or three years into Juilliard, as I'm like spending – a majority of my time in rehearsals waiting for my one triangle note and then never getting to have my triangle note, I was thinking, like, like I, I can't. Do, I need to be doing something else. Uh, well, a cookie would be great <laughs> right about now. Well, so, like, I discovered, like, how much fun it was to bake cookies. And that yeah, when was, did you get into cooking? Um, well, I got my first apartment uh, my third year, and it had, like, this tiny itsy-bitsy kitchen. And I just kind of, like, discovered how much fun it was to bake cupcakes because that was something that from the start to the finish I could make and it was a physical thing and even if I was sitting in a kitchen for four hours and I failed like I still had like an edible object that like is sugary and buttery and you had your triangle I, like you had the ring <laughs> right, got it. if I like fail after like four hours of being in triangle rehearsal like I haven't done anything I want to get to the part where you move to a farm <laughs> from the tiny okay. a, a tiny apartment kitchen to like the most beautiful <laughs> farm kitchen I've ever seen in my entire life how'd you get there um I I fall in love with a farmer. That's like oh, that, a farmer. That's old fashioned. Yeah. What's, a nice, what's a nice farmer I doing a at Juilliard? I did once date a farmer, but she was a farmer who'd moved to the big city and like the family. No, her last name was, was Farmer. Was Farmer, yeah. right? <laughs> She's um, an accountant. <laughs> well, Nick, so Nick, my husband, he is a trombone player and he came to Juilliard. So he was at Juilliard the whole time, but he was very quiet. And that was like a rowdy percussionist. So for the few years that we overlapped at Juilliard, we were just sort of like, we knew who each other was and we were kind of in the same friend group, but I never saw him at parties. I never, we never really like hung out. And also I was dating the Meatless Balls guy. So could you explain that for our listeners? Could you explain that for our listeners? (laughs) So it's a recipe. Yeah, it's a recipe because my, my ex-boyfriend, his mom made these amazing meatless meatballs that remain in my life as like his legacy in my life. So this is a recipe that I continue to make. We're actually going to try them like, at our vegetarian it's, house. Yeah, it's um, it's walnut, toasted walnuts and garlic and Parmesan cheese and breadcrumbs. And you mm-hmm. just grind it up and you fry it. Kind of kind of like like an Italian spiced falafel. Int- well, that metaphor will help. I have a lot, <laughs> you. I have a lot of respect for you. I am never going to make that. So you head to, you head to the farm. Fine. I'll make meat. And then you're like, shoot, there's no triangle work around here. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. That's the, the, yeah, the that's all I'm qualified scene, to do. The, yeah, the freelance scene in Grand Forks for classical musician or classical music is not what it Sleepy. is in New York. Yeah. yeah. So I so at the time, okay, so so we moved there like three and a half, four years ago, and I got a job at the town bakery working the one a.m. 
bakery shift. And then meanwhile, Nick was going to harvest. So he was working like 18 hours or something ridiculous. So this is his family's farm. This is his family's farm, yeah. Sugar and at what point did he say to you, like, by the way, we're going to – We're like, moving home, babe. Yeah. Um, we both – okay, so I went home for Passover, like – the last year that I was living here and I really liked it. I really like for the first time after like moving to New York, I realized how much I loved kind of like having space and, and, and having a yard and having like trees around and everything. Amen. So, like, and the Midwest. And the Midwest. So, so like I, I flew back the first words out of my mouth to Nick or I want to leave New York. Um, and he said, me too. And so we just kind of were like weighing our options. And he said, by the way, my family has this farm. And, like, I'm thinking, living in Brooklyn, I'm thinking, cool, like, pickling, wearing unironic flannel, plaid flannel. Artisanal t-shirts. Arti- yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, having chickens, all that stuff. Right. Like, very romantic farm. Like, wake up at sunup, walk barefoot through the fields. Dry like, some spices. Or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was like, cool, yeah. Like, I'm going to move there whether you're with me or not. And, <laughs> and so he was like, all right, that, that works. And we just did it. And then, um, and so when I was was living there, so we got there and I was like, all right, like, we're, we're all of your friends that <laughs> <laughs> that, cool that you like farmer, grew up with like let's hang, out, let's hang out with people yeah so like he didn't have any friends because like his, all of his best friends are his family um and so i just had all this free time and i worked on the blog i worked on on the photographs mainly and then through that was able to just kind of like grow a following what let's talk manual labor because like what like did you get to the farm and they were like okay now you gotta like get those eggs like were there things you had to do that you were not expecting Stephanie didn't okay. even know what a farm thing to say was <laughs> I mean, like, the farm, like you know, did, you, did you shuck that cow <laughs> did you did you milk that cow shucking on the tree is very big I, I was uh, an expert um <laughs> tell me farm things well, okay so it was a lot of um getting used to bugs um i was confronted with death a few times like of animals but but manual labor though i mean like i when i first got there they were like all right um you you have this yard now are you gonna mow the mow the lawn and i got on the mower and and at this point like i hadn't driven in years i almost let my like driver's license it could have like expired oh it's a fun like riding mower. Oh, i yeah. love those yeah it's one of it's the riding amazing. mowers yeah so so i started to do i did it for one day and i was like i can't I can't do this. I don't Your legs were sore do. from that. You have to press so hard. And I was like and afraid of the sun, and it was like noisy and it was bumpy, and and there was like grass flying so your into my mouth. Farms full time. He farms full time. Yeah. What does he farm? Sugar beets. Sugar beets. Oh, sugar beets, right? Yeah. Yeah, and soybeans too. So, um, I'm really more worried for him, right? Because that's a tough life. He loves it, um, and. He, like, like, like the physical labor. I think he's like super into when he gets this like gnarly farmer's tan every year. Oh, and then, it's hot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but does he listen to podcasts while he's doing it? Oh yes. Um, and I just got him going on unorthodox. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's I'll where listen we're to going this. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, look, now look, Molly, you're you're famous now. When are you? When are you coming back? When are you leaving the farm? Oh, you're like, way too big for like one of my Dakota movie. No, oh, I love it there. No, you know, seriously, talk, come, talk, come talk. and do a live unorthodox show in Grand Forks. I think we should. I will get, I will, I will get the three the other town Jews. To, that's what they Are call there them. town Jews there? <laughs> the whole there, will come? There's actually a history. There, um, there used to be a huge Jewish community in Grand Forks. Now, wait a second. Now, <laughs> you mean there used to be a Jewish community in Town Forks? It's, it's smaller than Fargo's population, larger than Bismarck's. Well... <laughs> <laughs> and so the Put Jews that on a bumper sticker. Um, so we have like a, an, an itsy bitsy synagogue, and then the liquor store in town, like the big liquor store, is owned by 
the, the, Jews. J- the Jews, town Jews, the Jews, <laughs> yeah. amen, and the sinners. The- so your father's Chinese, your mother's Jewish. Did you grow up with any sort of fusion, like food fusion of the of the holidays? Like, what are your very like? Yeah. What are your early food memories? Um, we had a lot of dumplings, so like matzo balls and steamed Chinese buns, and like pot stickers, but made with chicken, not pork. Um, and so there were just like it, it was it was a lot of carbs, very carb heavy. And then I was also kind of. Um, my mom was like never sort of one to like put boundaries on things. So if like I wanted to make a fusion thing, so like there's like the scallion pancake holla in my book. Like my mom was like all for that type of thing, and she she was the type of mom who like never gave me coloring books. She always gave me like blank pages and like make your own lines. <sighs> so free range. Yeah, very free range. And so you know if I wanted to buy Oreos at the store, it was like why would you buy Oreos and you can make them from scratch. And look so at you now. Was, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was fun. Have you encountered that brand that's in my supermarket called Soyve, which is Yeah, the, we have yeah. that at our town Target. Which yeah. is yeah. offensive, uh-huh. on, so which offensive on so many levels. Is it good? The, I've never no, tried. No, no, no real Jew would buy Soyve, no. but I think it is kosher. I mean, I think they're making, you know, soy sauce that's Jewy or something. I don't know. That's and your, your book is full of, you know, like Middle Eastern. There's a lot of challah recipes. There's a lot of falafel. It's pretty Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Um, <laughs> It, it, it's weird because, like, I I went to one cookbook store last week in Montreal, and it was in the Jewish book section. And I took a lot of. Pride I think it's actually in called that. the Ghetto, the Jewish book ghetto. <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs> it was in, like, and you, oh, you Jewish, like that? I loved it. Okay. Yeah, because because um, it's it's yeah, kind of rides this border of like you know, is is this a Jewish book? Like, should this be on Hanukkah gift guides? Yes, or is yes. it not Jewish? Are enough? there more Absolutely. Jews in Grand? Grand Forks Rapids, where are you from? What's the town? Grand Forks. Grand Forks are more Asian Americans. Which makes you more of a minority there. And which oh, do you feel it, is more I offensive to the local races? <laughs> do they hate you more because you're Jewish or because you're Asian? Well, I mean, I I think because I look Asian, I stand out more. Right. Um, but if they found but out because, you're also Jewish, which would offend them more? Um they're they're so nice. <laughs> like even the racist there are nice. All so Sorry, but nice. don't like you. Sorry, <laughs> no. to offend, you don't do but... that. Like it's it's is they approach it with like curiosity and like um and th- they just ask a lot of questions about both Judaism and like Asian culture. And so it's like on one hand, it's like I mean, it's like it's it's really nice, but it's also like okay, I very clearly like we have to come to a center point here and like figure out like what things are common from my culture and your. How culture. How do you handle then, the earnestness and the lack of irony on the Great Plains? I listen to you. <laughs> I'm serious. Like I I have to. When you need a sarcasm. We're basically yes. advice, is yeah. what you're saying. Instead of smoking or drinking heavily, I'm dead serious. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's like like p- people are just are very shoes. like well behaved, and you don't offend there. It's it's like it's pretty like. G-rated and like you don't say something that like your grandma wouldn't want you to say, and so yeah, so I have to just like turn on Liel. <laughs> <laughs> like, Shalom, fuckers. Yeah. We say, should do a live show. I'm totally there. I want to say that. What we should do is a road trip. We need. <laughs> oh oh my yes. god. Yes. I want to say I feel like you have it figured out because you seem very calm. Like you seem very. You've probably been in very high intensity envi- environments, like in Juilliard and these orchestras. But like you have this calmness, and I feel like. I want to go there and I want to make the things that you make in the pretty pictures. You want her serenity and her homentasha. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, see, but then, well, but then actually... you open the book and be like, I want to make the thing in the pretty pictures, but then you read like the talent and the skill required for it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get it. Or I could order out. Or I could go to get it. you can't order out. That's the thing. That's the thing. There's no seamless. Your mom is like, no, we have to make Oreos. 
Um, I actually want to say, because when you were saying you want her life, I first heard about you from this article on The Cut that was called I Want This Bitch's Life. And it was about her. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, I do. So can you just like call us each week and just like say nice things and like tell us what's going on? I'll I'll just start like like the the opposite podcast of Unorthodox (laughs) for people who are from the Midwest (laughs) and who live in New York and need like some old for cute. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it should be called Orthodox. (laughs) (laughs) It should be like, hi. Like to get into news, something. News of the nachos today. <laughs> to get into something. Is fine. It's just called news. <laughs> Everybody's getting along. <laughs> to get a weak facsimile of your mental state, Liel here meditates every morning. I mean, you know and what every you, afternoon. You know what you don't need? Meditation. You live, yeah. you live a meditation state. No, that's state. not true. Everybody needs meditation. No, no, I don't. You need therapy. Like, I, you think I need meditation. I think you need therapy. Uh, a lot of people think that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite recipe in this book? Um... Okay, so the lefsa in there. Lefsa is their answer to the latke. I don't know if it like actually was their answer, but it's their holiday potato pancake, meaning like their the, meaning North Dakota. Sorry, it's <laughs> so mean of me. <laughs> I had to make sure not to offend them. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's they're not listening. Don't <laughs> Upper Midwest Scandinavian people of Norwegian. That's their latke. Yeah, okay. yeah, and and so um, you know, you think of latkes, you think of like drinking a beer, like getting drunk, like oils splattering everywhere, like people are having a great big party when they're making latkes. Lefsa is, you get together with um, four church ladies in the basement of the Lutheran <laughs> church, and you have one lady that's um, that's rolling out the dough so that it's it's paper thin, it's like you can almost see through it, and, um, and it's just basically like white potatoes and flour and sugar. And then you have one lady who's using a big, long wooden stick to transfer it to a big grill. And the stick has has hopefully been in your family for like four generations, that type of thing. Or you get it for a it's wedding It's the only gift. thing they brought over from Norway. Exactly, is, is, yeah. Is the left stick. Is the left stick. <laughs> the sacred left stick. And then you have one lady who's like flipping it. And they say that if you can't flip a lefsa, then like um, you're going to have like problems in your marriage or something like that. <laughs> your children like, have cleft palates and you can't flip <laughs> yeah. a lefsa, right? Yeah. So it's just – it's like a very challenging thing to make. And so when I when I first made it, I, I thought, you know, like – I, I can do this. I have a recipe. This is going to be easy. It's just potatoes and and you like flip it. And um, and I made it with sweet potatoes. I didn't rice the potatoes, which I learned you absolutely have to do. And it was like a, it was a complete disaster. I was like on the phone crying with with great, great Aunt Ethel. And um, and I was not only questioning my ability to make this seemingly simple potato pancake, but I was also I would just moved to to Grand Forks. And I was like questioning my future as a Midwestern farm wife as so, a lutheran so, church lady as a lutheran church. so it's no, basically it's made as to make it you basically have a quilting bee for latkes exactly so i i stand with uh with our producer lisa goldstein who holds that the latka is pretty much the one of the worst food stuffs ever this is by the way the only thing that she has to meet my ex-boyfriend's dad the meatless balls guy. Yeah, because his I just, dad I just made really great meatless oh. balls. But my yeah. question is this: when, when you, because uh, the lefsa really sounds like the only thing that might be like actually worse than the latka. <laughs> do you, and, and be honest here: do you have disdain for the culinary tradition you've moved into? Because here you are coming from these like super very like just really Chinese, cool, Chinese Jewish, Jewish yeah. like very spices. And I was like, oh, yes. we oh. take the potato, lutefisk, we, we put the whole garrison killer, <laughs> oh for sure, <laughs> put the flour and the sugar. Yeah. And we we take the selfie or the selfie uh, left oh, stick. Walter and we, Mondale yeah. for yes, sure. Yeah, it's, there, there's not a lot of salt. Like I had to literally bring 
um, my own kosher salt to my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there, there's nothing spicy. Like so. So on the on the there's one no hand, voice is like, what's wrong with you people inside your head? <laughs> Not anymore. It's too. I, too I can't She's gone native. It. Yeah, I've gone soft. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. Final question: What have you done to solve the bagel problem in your life? Um, I have a bagel teacher in town. Uh, he recently moved. That's why you're actually here in New York. Oh, you but, mean in North Dakota? He, yeah, he recently moved from uh, Pennsylvania. He's a professor at the UND. And this summer I'm going on a fishing trip to Alaska for salmon. And so I'm going to go get some salmon. I'm going to make some lox. And then Dave, my bagel friend, is going to come over and teach me how to make bagels. When Molier makes bagels and lox. <laughs> she does not mess around. <laughs> she dishes her own lox in Alaska. I think it's like a big deal when I like wait on the Russ and Daughters line. That's like, exactly right. <laughs> I am enduring. I earned it. Sometimes I go to absolute bagels like five blocks away <laughs> further and I'm like I'm such an innovator yeah that's amazing amazing thank you so much Molly um, you can follow along with Molly's lovable food and farm life at mynameisyay.com y-e-h or on Twitter or Instagram at at Molly Yay. 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 thanks Molly thank you guys so much home home on the range where the deer Some Mazel Tovs of the week. Liel, Stephanie, who wants to go first this week? And you know what? Molly Ye is still sitting here. Do you have a Mazel Tov, Molly? Um, Yeah, you guys go first. We'll go first and then we'll come back to you. Special guest treat. You came from so far. Liel. Uh, So my Mazel Tov would be to German historian Volker Ulrich. Ah, Volker. uh, Volker Volker Ulrich, uh, who wrote the unbelievably uh, great new biography of Hitler. Called and, who? Uh, called Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> Ascent. Wait, is this it is like a, Hitler exclamation mark? Hitler <laughs> Ascent. I know I've, I've read, you know, I've read the joke. Hitler confess. colon Ascent. It's very promising. Uh, I don't know how it's going to end. <laughs> it's going to end. But it seems like the art thing is really working out for him. Uh, good picture. Yeah, he's good selling eye. a lot of stuff in Vienna. He's uh, really popular with the kids. I'm really happy you have such like a good work-life balance that this is what you did over the weekend. That's yeah. what I do over the weekend. Okay, I like, gotta gather around, kids. I want to read you from the book. Kinder, pop up on Papa's lap. Kinder, Kinder. Um, oh, my Mazel Tov is to listener Jeffrey Grossman, who wrote in to say that he worked on Middle Neck Road in Great Neck and asked if I went to North or South. I obviously went to Great Neck North. Of course, um, obvi. And what then, is he a peasant? And then he <laughs> gave me an update on teen tour companies because he worked at American Trails West, which has since merged with Rhine, which is the teen tour I went on. And I've learned more from him than I ever wanted to know about teen tours. So thanks, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Grossman. Um, Molly Yeh, do you have a special Mazel Tov? Okay, this is very mushy, but my Mazel Tov is for you guys. Because I love you guys so much. Aww. You don't need we to give us a Mazel Tov. So you brought us oh, Kamatash. <laughs> my... In case this needs to be said, which I think it doesn't, but you're like our absolute favorite guest of all time. It's funny that your name Done. is Yeh, because you are like very exuberant and full and of sunshine. Eating, <laughs> eating this. Uh, my Mazel Tov. I turned my Mazel Tov over to a listener this week. Uh, Lauren Shoulder writes, quote, I know you asked longtime listeners to shout out to those they introduced to Unorthodox. I actually want to send a Mazel Tov to the woman who introduced me to the podcast, Alicia Zimmerman, who just gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, Eli Nathaniel. I know she'll be listening to all your upcoming podcasts as she navigates the early days of nonstop breastfeeding and baby care. I'm so thankful for her friendship and also letting me know about this wonderful podcast, which has been so helpful in dealing with this alternate universe in which we now reside. Best, 
Lauren Shoulder. We echo your mazel tov to Alicia Zimmerman. We offer her and whoever her partner slash sperm donor slash husband slash lesbian wife is who joins her in welcoming Eli Nathaniel. And we also offer free parenting advice. If she needs any, she should just write to us and we will uh, – it, it won't necessarily be good, but we'll give advice, it to her. Advice number one, get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. <laughs> Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is edited by Noah, son of Warren Levinson, and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Telushkin. Rabbinic supervision by the uh, the Rabbanum of Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota. The Rabbanum. Also, also kosher slaughtering from them, too. Also from them, too. They do everything. They also run the mikvah. They also they do everything there. Uh, they do the shotness testing. Find Tablet Magazine. The beef magazine, farming. The beef farming. <laughs> Which are kosher beef, beets? Oh my god, Molly, you should be like the Chabad emissary. Yes. <laughs> perfect. Fine tablet. You already make amazing challah. I completely lost control. On Twitter, we're at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem. We record in Argo Studios where room temperature is 73 degrees. And we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.